if you spend two minutes around me or you're a family member, you'll know one thing is true of me. There's probably many things that are true about me, honestly, but the thing that I'm getting at is that I'm a bit of a dreamer. And when I was a kid, one of the things that I used to like doing, and I still like doing if I have the opportunity to do so, is kind of find somewhere warm and in the sun, lie my back in the grass and look up at the clouds. And you know what happens when you look up at the clouds? You know, when we were kids, we saw all sorts of things. I see everything from Star Wars characters to animals to flying horses to whatever kind of comes to my mind. You sit there and you look at that and these things kind of, you know, stick out at you and you kind of go, wow, well, no, I do. I wish I had a pen and paper to capture some of these because they look amazing. (laughs) Well, I recently learned that that phenomenon has a name. It's called pareidolia, and you may be familiar with it, but I wasn't. So pareidolia means that it's kind of like confirmation bias, I suppose, in the sense that you're looking at images and taking in information which supports you seeing something that perhaps is not obvious or not even really there. And I know if you're looking at clouds, you're looking at, I don't know, the sea or whatever, you know, that often happens. They use pareidolia a lot when talking about people who see UFOs and all that sort of phenomenon. And they sort of say, you know, your brain tells you what you want to see and you kind of, your imagination overlays over the top of it. And I was thinking about that the other day and I was doing some training with um, a friend of mine and we were doing some kata and some sparring and some karate and whatnot. And we were talking about the subject, which is always controversial, bunkai. So today I want to talk about pareidolia and why having a wild imagination is a good or bad thing when it comes to karate and especially bunkai. Kia ora, I'm Tuari Dawson and you're listening to the Invisible Sensei podcast. During the lockdown and prior to it, I guess more so because of the lockdown because we were so isolated and needing to do something with our times, I really got into looking at Instagram and YouTube and, you know, being in a situation where we have to train by ourselves, you know, doing virtual training and all that sort of stuff. And I became aware of a lot of, I guess, YouTube and Instagram channels that dealt with the subject of bunkai. And also, I guess, for years, I've kind of gone back and forth on these things in the sense that people say to me all the time, or that you see, you know, look for the hidden technique, look for the hidden uh, technique that was always within kata but you never saw or or they have they make claims that they have read a book or a document and the meaning becomes clear also you see people who do these really great and interesting kind of deep dives into bunkai and how they're actually hiding wrestling techniques and pressure points and all these sorts of things now I am not at a point where I can make any comment about the culture or the hidden techniques but I guess for me I got to a certain point not too long ago where I was going, how much of it is pareidolia in the sense that we're overlaying things that we see, making connections that perhaps weren't originally there. And I suppose I have to be honest and, and sort of go, I guess that's where my, a lot of my bunko comes from, in that when I'm doing kata, 
I see things and I kind of go, oh, it kind of reminds me of this and that. And what generally happens, dependent, of course, on your dojo, is that they'll say, right, these are the standard bunkai. Uh, obviously, not every style or dojo is concerned with the application of a kata. A lot of really concerned with, you know, doing sparring and making this stuff applicable, which is all really good stuff and completely worthy. For me, I've always liked bunkai because I think it's one way in which it brings kata alive and that if I'm doing something, I can kind of understand what I'm doing. Anyway, when it comes to pareidolia and kata, I think there are some people who perhaps, to be honest, see things that were never there. I've seen people make reference to wrestling and Brazilian jiu-jitsu and judo and boxing and kickboxing and Muay Thai and all these other things. And they're sort of saying, oh, this was the hidden technique. And I'm going, I think when you look at movement, there's always going to be a relationship between what you see and the bias that you might have. I mean, you can arguably, if you're, if you're one of those people who can look at movement and find application in it, you're going to find an application in everything. And I'm not begging that. But I'm saying that it's interesting how many people feel the narrative, oh, what am I trying to say? How many people feel the narrative about, oh, this is an ancient kata and, you know, this was taught to but a few and there's all these hidden techniques. And I had a occasion whilst I was in Okinawa recently in which I was around people who were talking about hidden techniques and it was very much kind of like, oh, these are secret techniques that we, we can't discuss with you because you're not part of our style. And they may well have been. They may well have been. I could be completely off base with what my reaction was. But I think also, if you're being honest, if you train hard, get some good input and also, you know, listen to your sensei, um, he or she may definitely give you some tools, but I think it's up to you to construct your own thing and come to your own conclusions regarding what you see overlaid within the kata and with the movement. I think that... I know for years I was an absolutist. I don't know if that's an, ab an actual word, but I was kind of like, if it's not in the kata and if it's not um, what I've been taught, then it's not a bunkai. And I guess in the intervening years I've become a little more, I don't know if flexible is the right word, but certainly I guess in my own training as you get to know the movements and so on and so forth. I mean, Gojuru is kind of a middle of the road sort of style when it comes to numbers of kata. I mean, we have 12. I mean, some styles have more. I know within the style of Gojuru and the way that I teach these other kata within the syllabus, not all of them Gojuru, but um, the point being 12 kata. Now, some, some katas, they have less. Some kata, they have a great deal more. And you sort of wonder, is this an opportunity having more kata to um, have more options or with less kata, are, are you missing something? And... I think for me, you know, I have specific kata that I'm very, I'm very, no, what's the word? Um, I don't want to say favourite, but ones that I definitely favour that work for my body, where I'm at in my life, my flexibility, all of those kind of things and seem to make more sense to me than some of the others that I do. And there's some kata that I practice because, to be totally honest, I need to remember them because I have to teach other people. So not all the kata that I do are my best buddies. And I found over the years, you know, things come in sort of fits and starts when it when you talk about kata and bunkai. And I think there is an element of self-discovery. Um, but I also think you have to be careful when you're sort of creating a narrative, as we were talking about before, 
that these kata are kind of well, the origins of some of these kata. Maybe I'll put it that way. Some people, I think, create the idea that um, kata, bunkai, and so on and so forth were handed down in this really esoteric kind of ancient way, 700-year-old kata. And some people, I think they just create their kata. I think there were some prominent teachers who have seen, who have responded to a need, and they've created a kata. And that's okay. I, I'm, I myself am in the process of um, practicing a kata that I'm doing for myself. I'm not teaching anyone else. It's just a kata that makes sense to me. But the, the same token, I'm not going to tell you that <laughs> I found it written on a magic tablet on Hamahega Island um, in some magical cave. I'm going to say to you, this is a kata that I created and it makes sense to me. And I think when it comes to bunkai, the same is true. It's all right to be honest about what you're doing. Um, movement always has this way of suggesting application. And I don't think that the ancient masters were hiding, were hiding techniques. I mean, I could be wrong and maybe I'm completely off base. I know there's a lot of literature about secret techniques and all those sorts of things. And look, in my in my humble opinion, sometimes we get to this point of preservation, which I think preservation for preservation's sake can be dangerous sometimes in the sense that if we're not careful, it becomes really intractable and something which doesn't move, it doesn't develop, and it becomes this competition of who's got the most traditional kata and who's got the oldest bunkai or application and all those sorts of things. And I think pareidolia teaches us that we see what we want to see. And I think that can be a really positive thing. I know uh, I'm coming up to the Gorju Guys seminar uh, next week, in fact, and I'm going to be doing some analysis of kata, and I'm totally going to be relying on my ability to see bunny rabbits in the clouds on my pareidolia to look at kata that I don't know and come up with some ideas for techniques that may or may not apply or may just occur to me or may have no relevance at all. But the thing I'm not going to do is I'm not going to lie about it and tell you a long story about the ancient scroll that I was given or the ancient book or the, the mysterious sensei who taught me this and that. Some of the sensei that I experienced in Okinawa were the kind of people that you're just going, you're just awe-inspiring. Um, they're awe-inspiring in their humility, but also awe-inspiring in that they view martial arts and I think irrespective of style it's good for all of us to view martial arts as an ongoing endeavor something if you're passionate about that you never stop learning and it's kind of I know cliche to say that but I think pareidolia in this sense can be a really really positive thing if we choose to see it in the right way if we choose to see something which makes sense to us and we can apply then kind of job well done. And if not, well, I hope you find somewhere warm in the sun and you get comfortable, hands behind the head, look up at the sky, maybe a piece of straw in the mouth, and you see lots of rabbits and dragons and maybe a little bit of bunkai in the clouds.